Now, folks, this will be another Louisville-centric episode, so I wanted to make you aware of the WHAS Crusade for Children telethon happening uh, next weekend on June 4th and 5th on WHAS 11. So for those of you who are unaware, uh, the WHAS Crusade for Children was established in 1954 by WHAS-TV. Uh, the crusade raises more uh, for agencies, schools, and hospitals to, to better the lives of special needs children. In its first 62 years, the crusade has raised more than $165 million. Thanks to generous contributions of goods and services, the crusade is able to return 100% of that $165 million uh, to, uh, to organizations that serve special needs children in all 120 Kentucky counties and more than 50 southern Indiana counties. Now, maybe you've been driving in the Kentuckiana area and, and have seen those fire department stage roadblocks to raise money at those at those stoplights, and maybe you throw what you can into the firefighter boot, and, and that's great. In fact, this has actually been a very effective uh, way to do it. They've raised more than 150, or rather, more than 50% of the money each year by doing this. But if you'd like another great way to make a tax-deductible donation and learn more about the crusade, all you have to do is visit www.crusadeforchildren.org. <laughs> Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to the podcast. Today is uh, Friday, May 27th, 2016. This is, a, this is a really great day for me. I had a good time uh, with both my guests. Um, this was the first time I ever went out live for an interview. I did it at Monarch Brewing Company in, in the Germantown Schnitzelberg area of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, it's kind of hard for me to ever go back to an, an in-person or, or rather a speakerphone interview again after doing that because actually it, it worked out a lot better than I had anticipated. Um, the equipment is still an issue, but I think if I can do it in, uh, in person, I probably should. That's the lesson learned. Uh, so I'm speaking with Brian Holton at first from Monic. And then secondly, um, I, was, um, I was graced by the presence of Mayor Greg Fisher of Louisville. And the reason I have him on is, to my knowledge, I and mean, he doesn't have a brewery, he doesn't own a brewery, but I think he is um, much like Candace Moon from the Craft Beer Attorney. I, I believe he has um, his own ways of building breweries as a representative of the city of Louisville. So we kind of get into talking a little bit more about that, um, how breweries affect communities and economies and vice versa. It's a very important subject to, to have, and I'm really, really thankful uh, for, uh, Mr. For, for Greg uh, Fisher to come on and, and talk to me a little bit more about that. You know, as always, I, I thank everybody for subscribing and rating, listening, and sharing uh, this podcast. It, it is only growing at this point. We're we're growing. It's getting big. Um, I just got invited down to Tampa for a uh, for a beer blogging um, convention, which is, is apparently a thing. Um, that's awesome. I I'd be happy to do it. So I might actually go down. Um, that being said, I am trying to procure different sponsorships, so if that's something that you're interested in, in sponsoring, or if you know a business that would like to sponsor that trip, um, I'd love to talk to them about that. My email address is molarmd at yahoo.com. And likewise, if, if you have any questions, or if you if you want to give me a brewery uh, recommendation, uh, you can get 
me on, on Twitter. It is MolarMD. All right, now I'm joined live with Brian Holton. He is the co-founder of Monic Brewing Company located in Louisville, Kentucky. We are in the Schnitzelberg neighborhood. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for How being here today. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. This is the, this is my first time. I'm, I've been live in an, in an interview, and you you were the first person to kind of see my, my ghetto set up here. But it it seems to be working hey, out fine. It looks like it works. So no problem. Yeah, exactly. So so you Monic opened up late 2015 last year. Um, but before we get into that, can you just kind of give us an explanation of how did you get into brewing in the first place? I started as a home brewer many years ago thank you somebody just gave me a drink <laughs> um i started as a home brewer let me try to do some math here five six seven eight maybe ten years ago ish uh not exactly sure when i started and um was brewing at home like most home brewers i had a dream of uh, selling the beer that I made, I thought it was pretty good. My friends enjoyed drinking it, um, and I was really into the science behind it and the uh, magic of creating my own recipes. So uh, I kept investing in uh, better and better homebrewing equipment and uh, got into a couple of sidetrack um business ideas with people and realized that my heart was really with the brewing and that that was something that I wanted to spend as much time as I was spending on these uh, side businesses. Um, I wanted to spend that time actually investing in brewing and building a brewery of my own. So it was probably in 2009 when I first made the real decision, the conscious decision that this is something I want to pursue. Um, I, so at the end of that year, I formed the LLC, Beer Engine LLC, and uh, started looking for a place to open a brewery. Um, and, and that was down in Danville, right? Yeah, so I lived in a town called Stanford. It's about 10 or 11 miles outside of Danville. And um, I had... We were living there just because we had friends there and um, wanted to be out of the city. We had been in Louisville before then. And um, so at that time, I was looking for properties down there to start a brewery. And we, uh, through a mutual friend, uh, I found a location, very small spot. The landlord had... Uh, large building so I just rented a corner of the building basically and uh, started renovating the space to be my brew pub and Beer Engine opened in February of 2011. Yeah it's, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about Monic without talking about Beer Engine. When you decided to make the, the, the second brewery was it going to be Beer Engine or did you know that you wanted to go another direction? Um. The idea was always going to be the same. So the concept of what we do and what we brew and why we, um, you know, renovate a space to be a certain way or make a beer to taste the way it does, um, those have been constant. The uh, business of that was Beer Engine in Danville was uh, it was a decent name. It had some recognition. It's been open now for five and a half years, so 
you know, a lot of people had heard of it. Um, but when we were opening this place in Louisville, we took a minute to step back and say, you know, long term we envision opening potentially multiple retail places, um, being a regional brewery where our beer is distributed into multiple states. And is the brand of Beer Engine a good brand for us to do that, to grow that way? Uh, there are lots of businesses and breweries with beer or engine in the name. Um, so in one regard, it was, it was a good name because it had some recognition, but in another way, it was a weak brand for trademarking purposes because there were other businesses that had similar names. So we wanted something more unique. Um, so that's when we started talking about changing the name. Does Beer Engine still exist in Danville? Yeah, in Danville, we have Beer Engine. It's, uh, it's still under the name Beer Engine for now. Um, opening this place here in Louisville has taken quite a bit of attention and effort and any sort of uh, rebranding or renaming of that place in Danville has um, not really been something we've talked about. It's just, it's more of a local hangout for local people there. <clears throat> and so... Um, Do they have autonomy from each other? I mean, there's like Monarch is uh, separate and Beer Engine is separate. It, it's all the same owners. I mean, it's the same company in, uh, you know, as far as, I guess, the Secretary of State is concerned. We all fall <laughs> under the same LLC. Okay, all right. But um, the, you know, what happens in Danville, I, I brew down there a couple times a month. Um, it's more of like a test batch. It's a very small brewing system. It's a very small tap room, a lot of locals. Uh, it's, it has as many or more guest taps than house taps, so it functions also as kind of a beer bar. Um, in Louisville, there's a bunch of those. In Danville, there's not. So it has, it has multiple uh, kind of uses in Danville as be, being the brewery and being the beer bar. Sure. So, so as, as far as branding goes, you wanted to go with Monic. Uh, is, is there a meaning to that name, or is there, is there a background to it Yes all? and no. Uh, my business partner... Ian is from Amsterdam, and Monik is a Dutch word. It means monk. Um, one thing we were looking for was a unique brand, uh, something that nobody else could possibly have already used, um, just to have a strong trademark. Um, so uh, him being from Amsterdam, we were looking for Dutch influence or Dutch words. Um, the name Monik, uh, besides it looking and sounding cool, it's uh, the idea of a monk and beer and a brewery, things being handcrafted. It took us three and a half years to open this place. Um, we put a lot of intentional thought and effort into everything we do. We don't make moves without, uh, you know, asking, is this something we're about? And so we could relate to, Monic just seemed like the right fit to call it, name it after Monk, which, you know, having an intentional life dedicated to a thing. Oh, okay, I like that. Um, as you said, you were trying to open this place for about three and a half years. You had some trouble opening it, I guess. So, so what happened there? I mean, was there was there red tape to go to go through it all? Yeah, that was part of it. I mean, we, you know, when you have a small business, there's, uh, I guess, it depends on who you ask. But the the new way of thinking of small business is if you're not growing, you're dying. And so as soon as beer engine opened I was thinking about what's the next step like what how are we going to grow this business 
Um, Deer Engine in Danville was not, it's very small. It didn't have enough revenue to support me, my wife, and four kids. Uh, so I knew that it would have to grow in some way. We started immediately looking for a place. And we're from the Louisville area, so we were looking up here. Uh, this building had been up for sale for a little while, and we liked it. We looked at it. It was a mess. It was a wreck. It was falling apart. Um, but the location and the size, the footprint, there was a lot of potential there that we saw. Uh, but the asking price was kind of high. So we were looking kind of casually for a place. I'd been talking to the bank about helping us to finance a place once we found it. So that was all kind of gears were working in the direction of, of buying a place. Um, we just hadn't, you know, been looking super aggressively. Then we saw a sign on the window that said this place was going up for auction on a particular date. It was May or June of 2013. Is that right? 2012. Mm -hmm. May or June of 2012. It's hard to remember. Um, and so then we were like, well, we should, we really like the place. We would love to have it. So let's get, try to get our shit together with the bank and show up and uh, see if we can get this property. And we showed up to the auction and we won. So then at that point, uh, and we, my business partner, Ian, he's a general contractor. We'd looked through and discussed what it would take to get it to where it could make beer. And um, we had an idea of what that cost would, would be. Uh, we were in the process of an SBA loan, Small Business Association sure. loan, for expansion of our business. And so we had all these things kind of in the works. And so that's when we decided to pull the trigger. Um, we kind of had an, an idea of what it would be. It ended up being a lot more than that. Uh, so to answer the question of what the holdup was, uh, some of it was red tape. When we bought the building, the, we, the previous occupant had been a bar that was selling alcohol, uh, but it had been empty for over a year. So when we went downtown to get permits to demo and rebuild some of it, they said we could not do that because we were gonna serve alcohol we said, what's that all about? They said, it's not zoned for that. It's zoned C1, and you can't serve alcohol C1. Uh, we had kind of asked a lot of questions because the previous occupant had been serving alcohol. They said they had um, been kind of grandfathered in with that, but because it sat empty for over a year, it was considered abandoned, and so it lost that huh. status, the ability to sell alcohol, which... You know, I imagine if we were somebody that knew somebody, then we could have gotten around that because, you know, it's part, of, part of this, you know, part of bureaucracy is knowing who you know. But we had to go through the steps of uh, rezoning the property. We ended up closing on the property in about August of 2012 because it was a bankruptcy. It took a while to close. We closed. We fought. We tried to get permits to work on it. It took us seven months uh, of rezoning. Um, so it was the spring of 2013 before we could even start working on the building. And at that point, uh, we demoed what we expected to demo, kind of started gutting, tearing off drywall and the other parts. And it was 
the uh, structure, the bones of the building were much worse shaped than we thought. So we ended up demoing a lot more. We, we expected to demo and rebuild 1,600 square feet. We ended up demoing and rebuilding over 4,000 square feet. Oh, wow. And then the rest of the building uh, got gutted, and there was nothing untouched in the whole building. Even that which existed, you know, that we didn't demo, got gutted and redone completely. New electric, new plumbing, new all of it. So um, we we tra we contracted, we subbed out uh, all of it ourselves. Uh, that was some of the that added a little bit of delay just because of coordinating schedules of subs. Uh, it was a much bigger project than any of us had ever been involved in. It's a 10,000 square foot building. Yeah. So um, that probably added some time. That definitely added some time onto the whole renovation. And then we were also uh, using as much reclaimed material and uh, trying to be creative, and that added some time as well because it took a lot of handling of the material. You know, we had. This flooring that we're on right now uh, took a lot of work to put down because it's 100-year-old warehouse flooring that some of it was really warped and bent, and it just takes a lot of effort to install, and there's a lot of waste with it. So. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, I mean, obviously before this, um, this was the old Zeppelin Cafe. Do you know any history of the building past and before then? I know a little bit. Uh, I, I, there are people in the neighborhood that know a lot more than me. Um, for at least probably f uh, maybe 50 years, maybe more, it was a Heitzman Bakery. Um, into the 90s, it was a Heitzman's Bakery. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of the older people know it as, is the old Heitzman's. They used to come here on the way to the neighboring Catholic Church of yeah. St. Elizabeth, to, on the way to Mass to get a donut, or they used to come here to get their bread, mm. people in the neighborhood. Um, the one of the like a side room in the front downstairs was the first Kroger in Louisville and that was in the early 1900s huh. um, it had between Heitzman and Zeppelin I know it had a lunch cafe kind of concept in here and I don't know much about that it, it didn't last long I feel like there's probably been some other stuff in here, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> it, it, it's an old building. It, it shows mm -hmm. it, but you seem to have really, you know, restored it uh, quite a bit with the with the flooring and, and the walls downstairs and, and the bar itself. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, like I said. You know, we we try to be intentional about everything we do. So you know, the wood we used everywhere. We've thought about you know what would be the best. Thing, like what fits us best so we you know it's out I mean we're a bit probably too over the top with that stuff but uh, hopefully it shows in the final product you know yeah absolutely and I guess I should have asked this a little bit earlier um, but so you saw the location um, first at the old Zeppelin cafe being you know it was for sale couldn't get the, the finances for it and then it went to auction in between that were there any other locations that that you chose that you were looking at, or were you really just dead set on this and just waiting for this to go to auction? No, we we looked at a few places. We were looking fairly casually. Um, uh, it was a combination of searching the internet and driving around, and we we looked at a building in Old Louisville that was a that was gigantic. 
it was like it was probably 40 50,000 square feet hmm. um, we didn't like the location we didn't like the amount of work it needed but it was really cheap um, and so we weren't we weren't as excited about that spot um, we probably looked at a few other places I can't remember exactly where what they were or where they were but we we nothing was as exciting as this place yeah, yeah. to but us. ultimately this place was the one that won out yeah well we were excited about it and then when we saw it was up for auction we were like man we should really like decide you know we're going to do this and then show up and see if we can get it so yeah that's what we did now, now how many times did you hear questions like hey guys when are you going to open uh it's it, it's it was comedic you know it was multiple times a week for years yeah. which is a lot you, you even you know, made you even made a, a or i guess somebody made a satirical um press yeah. release saying hey guys don't worry we're actually officially opening in 2020 yeah so grab that your was, grab yeah. your hoverboard and come on over yeah that wasn't us uh it was good it was well done it was right uh you know we I I, told, I said it a hundred times. Nobody wanted us to open any sooner than we did. You know, <laughs> I mean, everybody was. We had, we had people, literally complaining how long it took us to open, which, like, Why? it's not your money. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I, you know, I, if if anybody wants it to open, it's us. You know, we we've got a lot of money tied up in this, and we're not making any money. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was. It was rough. I I learned, so I've had other friends that have been involved in business ventures, and I, but as a matter of principle, I refuse to ask them when they're going to open, just because just I based know, on that experience. I know it's like it's hard, and so <laughs> you know they're trying, and uh, you'll do it. You, when know, you can do it. I say, how's it going? Do you need any help? That's about it, as far as I can, <laughs> as far as I go with asking people about their business. But yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're drinking a couple beers here. Uh, what? What are they, and then what are your most successful popular beers that you sell? We uh, have about, we have five beers that we consider our flagship brands. We, you know, they're year-round. We always make them. Uh, we're always, you know, having them on tap. We've, well, after we opened, uh, a couple months after, we've run out of all of these brands for a short period of time, but it's we're still learning about uh, tank turnover, uh, inventory, because uh, because you're brewing something that's not going to be ready for weeks. So it's a matter of timing and keeping this this beer in inventory. You want it to be fresh, but it takes several weeks before it's ready. So we ran out of some things, um, but mainly our five uh, chief brands are King George. It's a brown ale. It's really uh, rich and toasty. Uh, we have a stout, His Dark Materials. Uh, it's got everything in the kitchen sink in it. It was The idea of it was to throw in way too much roasted malt, but then throw lactose to balance that. So uh, that one's really po- it's really popular when the weather's cold. The, it, the sales have kind of tapered off a little bit as it's warmed up. Um, the Eagle Skull Saison is our year-round flagship Saison. Uh, Hauk's American Pilsner is drinkable, crisp, light, and that's a big seller. And the sales of that have, have been climbing since it's warmed up. Now, is, is Hauk's named after? After the neighborhood uh, kind of uh, 
what's the word? Um, convenience store, bar. It's it's a convenience yeah, store. Liquor store. Yeah, they have they have beer and whatever you miscellaneous items you need. Yeah. It's been there for <clears throat> ninety five years, um, and so it's an homage to them. And then our biggest seller is the IPA, and it's twenty percent of all the beer we sell is IPA by volume. It's you know. It's something that we had to brew and brew and brew. We had, we had, we opened with five fermenters. At one point, three of them were IPA. Uh, we're running out of other things because we're trying to keep up with IPA. Yeah. So, um, I think and, I think Kevin Gibson of Insider Louisville called it his favorite IPA in the city. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've we've heard that from a lot of people. I I agree with them. Yeah. But um, because of that, in February we bought four more fermenters so we have we've expanded already in the first we've been open six months now yeah and uh, we've more than doubled our capacity so congratulations that's 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 a good problem to have yeah um is there any style that you just refuse to make like you just don't you're not not interested uh our so scott our brewer has a hard time with some things that are uh super popular like uh you know We've been kind of nudging him to make some something really drinkable and tart, like a goza, mm-hmm. and he's kind of off-put at the <laughs> uh, popularity and the doneness of the goza. Um, I think the popularity is just starting. Yeah, I think it's... <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing, you know. So we'll probably do a Berliner Weiss because he's, cause it's different. But, uh, you know, I want to do... Something you know we, so me and Scott talk about all the beers and all the recipes that we're gonna do and really there's nothing that I can't think of that we're not gonna do. Might as well. Do I mean, I, mean I wonder? Do breweries say they're not gonna do a thing? I guess. I mean, what I, would be an example? I, I can't. I can't think of everything, but I don't know. I've. I, there are I've, definitely things that excite us more that we're more prone to do. Sure. So one thing that we've done a quite a bit of lately is single hot beers. Um, we call those Romulus. Romulus is our single hot beer, and we changed the hop variety. Uh, you know, Romulus was the foundation on which Rome was built, and so the hop is the foundation on which our business. So, so, is do, you, built. so do you have a remus somewhere, or did uh, Romulus? Right, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that, but we didn't want to imply that there was <laughs> it was an inferior beer that was going to get killed by Romulus. Um, Step over the wall. So we, uh, there are things that we tend toward more. Uh, we have two Romulus beers in uh, Bright Tanks. Romuli, I guess. Yeah. Uh, today he brewed a hoppy rye pale ale. So experimenting with hops and different ingredients is kind of what we tend toward. Uh, we did a variant of our stout his dark materials with uh, it was in a bourbon barrel with mulatto chilies and cocoa nibs and that was called mole materials and that was really nice and cocoa and kind of burned a little and in your throat from the peppers it was a it was a nice uh, variance from it we're going to brew that again here soon Um, we're going to take our ipa and add some coffee to it next week Hmm. for a variance on our ipa um, just experimenting with different 
things right now is kind of the track we're on, just kind of messing around with what we have and uh, different ingredients. Down the road, what we're going to tend toward is um, I want to invest and and store up and try to increase the amount of sour, funky, barrel-aged beers that we do. Mm-hmm. We have a basement that is empty that I want to fill up with barrels um, and do more sour beer. Uh, but I can't think of anything that we're hard-lined not going to do. Okay. So. Fair enough. Um, now, you've already kind of given interest in, you know, potentially growing your business with Monarch, Monarch uh, as that name. Um, I mean, if you, if you had to put a timeline to it, you know, bottling, canning, 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 do you have something in mind already? Is this like in your five-year plan, your ten-year plan? Um, my thoughts have been more toward opening another retail spot. Yeah? I like the taproom people, community uh, aspect. It's hard because I'm, I'm, part of me is like, man, we could sell a bunch of IPA if it was in a can, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so if you had to pick one for the rest of your life, one being you can only distribute to like grocery shelves and you know other stores uh, and their bottles and retail cans. by the glass tap room for that, sh- that's the one you pick for sure. Okay, absolutely. No, I don't. So the the conventional like model for growing a brewery is you open a little brew pub and then you expand to a production brewery and then you send your beer everywhere and hope that you stay relevant. And hope that people are still excited about you in this increasingly competitive market of packaged beer. Like the the market of packaged beer is getting like cutthroat. Oh yeah. And uh, one, you know, I feel like I have more me- memorable experiences going to a place and having good beer and good food and a good experience than I do sitting at home drinking a beer from a can. So I feel like we have more opportunity to um, show what we can do by having a retail space. Um, we have ideas for having a great you know, experience at a retail space, uh, a tap room that's on a farm with animals that are raised from the process of brewing and using those ingredients, you know, those animals, uh, raising pigs, aging meats, you know, like I have big dreams for, for future ideas, but, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a, it's, it's all a big capital investment, I guess, but it's just, it's definitely more our style to, to think about the experience of a person, uh, having a drink and having their food. Yeah. As opposed to having a beer factory. I don't I've I've worked in factories and I did not enjoy it. I don't want to work in a fact I don't want to own a factory that makes beer. I want to uh have a living breathing entity that's you want customers. You want, you want, yeah, I want, you want faces to the beer that you're selling. Yeah, I want I I like people. I mean, that's why I got into this whole thing. I like uh being in the tap room and meeting people. And being around them, so uh, you know that's that's definitely my inclination personally. But uh, what, what do you, what do you do when you're not brewing 
at you know at Beer Engine or Monic? We, uh, I have four kids. Um, I work two days a week currently as an RN in the emergency department at a hospital in the East End, um, and I'm two days a week is almost too much. Still, it's like, man, I got so much to do at, at Monic. So but do you, so when you int- introduce yourself to people, I guess depending on the situation, let's say it's it's, it's just a complete stranger and you're in, in another state, and somebody asks you, what do you do? What do you do? Are, do you say that you're? I'm a nurse. I guess I say I'm an RN because I that's what I've been. I mean, I've been an RN for ten years, so it's definitely the first. It's like my natural response to that. Yeah. It's like. But I also have a brewery. Yeah, but. Well, and it's also where my money comes from, too. My personal income sure. has chiefly been as an RN, but it's like in a transitional period now. I get a little bit from the businesses, and I get a little bit from being an RN. Uh, so I guess it depends on what I want to talk about. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> if I fair. want to get into the... <laughs> if, if you want to go into the beer If I want to get business, into beer. Because, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if, if, I'm picturing you maybe like being on an airplane and you don't want to talk to them. I don't person. want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I'm a registered nurse. And then I wonder what... I should probably say, like, I'm in... I'm a truck... A garbage truck driver. <laughs> and then I won't have to... T- nobody wants to ask any questions about that. Oh, I think I would. Oh, really? I'm not sure. Oh, then I can't lie. I... What what can I say to where nobody asks me questions about it? Uh, you 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 work in a mortuary science school. Ah, I might try that. No, that's that's intriguing actually. Yeah, I think people would ask questions. That makes about me want to ask questions. Yeah, too. exactly. Um, so so Schnitzelberg, Germantown in general, is the area that we're in. It's it's a very um, historic neighborhood. Um, are you familiar with the dainty street ball game? Yeah, yeah. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 35. I'm okay. not old enough to participate. I was going to say, th- this July, they have the Dainty uh, Championship event um, down here in Schnitzelberg. And, and usually they do it every July. They do, fun- they do fundraising for the Little Sisters of the Poor. The one requirement is you have to be 45 years or older to play. Yeah, I would, I would participate if I was allowed. Um, yeah. it's, it's-, it's, a, it's a baseball variant. That's that's essentially what it is, to my understanding. Yeah, it's you're actually hitting a small piece of wood with a wooden stick, so it's uh, you don't it's not pitched. It's it's quite a bit different. I don't know what it would be like. Have you uh, sat back and watched a game before? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not even a game. It's like see how far you can hit this piece of wood by yourself. <laughs> so it's like more like a, a contest or as a, like a kid would do, which. I think historically that's probably how it started. You know, kids playing in the street, they have a couple sticks to play with. They hit them as far as they can, but uh, it's it's a it's a fun excuse to get together and drink and hang out in the neighborhood. It's fairly anticlimactic as far as the sport goes. Sure. So do, I don't th- I don't do think it's going to have any much much of a following nationally or internationally. Do you have uh, any anything lined up for the people coming for this in July? I mean, are you going to be doing anything special? Uh, any, a, any any special plans in general for the future? That we like should do something for Dainty. That's a great idea. I should go talk to Mr. Hauk and see if I can help participate in any sort of way. I'm glad you brought this up. Absolutely. But um, 
we want to do some more neighborhood events last uh what are we in we're in may yeah so earlier this month we had uh the schnitzelberg walk that we participated in um we wanted to it was kind of our first thing testing the waters of shutting down the street and serving beer on the street serving food on the street and so it went well and we learned a lot so you know we have ideas coming up for uh doing more events outside we don't have any hard and fast plans we don't have dates to share for that at the moment um but this summer we would like to do some more kind of festive things outside so uh yeah watch for anything on especially on facebook or twitter that's or instagram that's where we kind of share uh events coming up for monic um but we want we want to do more stuff out there, out in the street, out in the neighborhood. Uh, it'd be great to get involved with Hawks. I mean, the, the epicenter of Danny Fest is by Hawks. Really, uh, it's right next door, and they've they are the. I mean, that's they go hand in hand. So, so yeah, definitely. Uh, well, we can I'll, be, I'll be on the lookout it. then. Yeah, if, it, if something ever comes up, I, I'll know where that came from. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's my idea. <laughs> Uh, one, la- one, oh, thanks. Well, uh, one last thing. What are your hours here? Uh, we are closed on Mondays. Every other day, Tuesday through Sunday, we're open at 11. Um, on weekdays, we close at 11, uh, midnight. On weekends, we close at 1 a.m. And Sundays, we close at 10 or 11. I can't remember. Something right. like that. Fair enough. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you coming by. Yeah, it's very cool. I, I got to do more of these uh, live in-person interviews because I, I do like these much more than the than the speakerphone setup I had before. I think live is good because you'll end up getting more free beer and you get to hang out. Oh, that's going to pay for these. Well. All right. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Okay, I am now joined by phone, a very special guest, the mayor of Louisville, Greg Fisher. Mr. Mayor, how are you doing this morning? Uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And so this is a little bit different for me. Um, although you don't necessarily own a brewery, um, you are still responsible for the building of breweries in, in a sense, at least. Um, the whole reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because I wanted to see how local communities and, and local economies affect breweries and, and how, you know, vice versa, how breweries affect uh, economies and communities. And who better to be a representative of a, my own community than the mayor of Louisville? So thank you very much for coming on. So I don't go to a lot of beer festivals around town, or at least not every weekend, but whenever I do, I, I actually end up seeing you there, uh, you know, quite often. And I know part of that comes with the job, but certainly you probably have a good time just like anybody else. Are there any uh, ones that have stood out to you over the years? Well, there's so many. I just think, you know, as mayor, I have to say I love them all, right? But I can tell you that why I enjoy going to the festivals is that uh, they express the authenticity of our city in such a cool way. And the growth of the craft brewery scene in Louisville has just been tremendous over the last five to ten years or so. So it's hard to, to pick a favorite because I haven't been to a bad one. Let's put it that way. I think they're all good. All right, I'll make I'll make it a little bit easier for, for you then. What was the last one that you went to? Last one was at Bowman Field, I think. Uh, so that would have been a couple months ago. Yeah, tailspin. Then uh, there was one at the uh, Slugger Field as well. Uh, so. It's not uncommon for me to be out and about, you know, I've got a 
do some field research with this job. Yeah, yeah, of course, and I'm sure, I'm sure you're complaining about that too. Um, so there's there's a joke that you know Louisville seems to shut down a, a new uh, shut down streets for a new festival, a new beer festival every other weekend. And you know, for, for the naysayers out there that kind of get annoyed by the street closures, can can you tell us why you think that these certain beer festivals? You know, for example, um, the most recent one, uh, well, back in back in March, the Bach Fest in Nulu, how that can be a positive experience for the city. Well, the Bach Fest, I was there. It was a wonderful uh, celebration. It was during the NCAA tournament, uh, so it gave a lot of unique local uh, vibe to those folks. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of people down there. Yeah, I, I think any time you can get people together, whether it's two people or two thousand or five thousand like that event, that's a good thing, but we kind of celebrate our common experience together. In this case, we had a little history to it with the Bach Fest and the racing of the goats, you know, that's uh, going to be challenging the most famous two minutes in sports before <laughs> we all know it. And, uh, and no, it's, it's community. I mean, that's why people move to cities for communities. I realize sometimes maybe you have to use a different street to get to where you want to go, but I mean, your city's got to have soul. And so whether it's art, uh, whether it's visual art or music or food or beer or bourbon, uh, these are things that bring everybody together. So Louisville was named several years ago, you know, the festival city for all of North America. And we're known for our great festivals, and I think it's important to the soul of our city. Absolutely. I think it's a good thing. And we, we kind of talked about the Bach Fest a little bit then. Honestly, that that's one of the cooler festivals around, and... Um... I'm, I'm, I'm really glad they brought it back because back in the day when it first happened, you know, in the 1800s, I mean, it, it would rival uh, Oaks Day now. I mean, it, it, the, the city shut down for Bach Day back then uh, as a celebration of Lent and, and Bach beer. Um, so I think it was I think it was running for 60 or so years before Prohibition. And then, you know, it was kind of forgotten and, and lost until just um, a few months ago. I think it's I think well, it was there, awesome. Yeah, you know, when you, when, right, when you look back on all these things and talk about the history of it, you realize that Hey, you know what? Those folks just wanted to get together and have a good beer, a good party as well. So that's that's something that stuck with us throughout the years. Absolutely. So, you know, since you've taken office, I think it was in, in 2010, how has the Louisville, you know, beer and restaurant scene changed the most? Oh, it's really blown up in a, in a big way. When I was running for office, it just kind of baffled me that there was not more focus on our local food scene, our bourbon scene. At that time, that was 2009, 2010. You know, microbreweries, uh, local beer scene was not nearly as what it's uh, not nearly what it is now. So that is a great uh, fit with the whole authenticity of what we have. And what we find is that people that come to town for uh, bourbon tourism, what we call bourbonism, you know, they love our local food, and they also happen to be high-end beer drinkers as well with craft beer. So. There's been a lot of complimentary activity around that. It's not only a benefit, obviously, to people that live here, but then the tourists that are coming to town. So it's all part of what we like to see, as I've said several times here, just an authentic city. So when they go to, you know, against the grain or apocalypse or whatever, these are just kind of unique experiences that they have. So that's what we like to offer people in the city. I, I agree. So, so back in 2014, um, you, you commissioned a, a coalition of, of brewers of, of sorts. Can you tell us what inspired you to do this, and you know who was involved, and and you know what what objectives were met? Well, we put together early in the administration a local food and urban work group. As I mentioned earlier, I felt like there could be more of a spotlight on that, and that's had great results with urban tourism. As I've mentioned, you can see that right. 
the convention center for the influx of tourists that we're having as well. And then during the 2011-12-13 period, you started seeing more uh, microbreweries uh, come onto the scene, and I felt like that we should that we could do more if we got together. So in 2014, we put the uh, beer work uh, group together, uh, the KGB was a big part of that, along with all the different local uh, breweries that we have. And one of the things I love about our city is whether it's local food, our local beer, our local chefs, when we get everybody together, there's really no huge ego saying, I am the man, I am the woman. It's like, okay, how can we work together to make this a bigger scene? So the beer work group came back with uh, some recommendations, a, a report that was beautifully written by Leah Dennis in there and uh, came back with five recommendations and a couple of them are done the other ones that we're, we're working on as well but obviously it's really popular we do community bike rides the biggest community bike ride we had last year is when we started at great flood and then went to several of the breweries around town so uh, i think we're on to something here yeah i actually i think i remember seeing you at, at false uh, at false city that day on the little uh, the block party that they had um but yeah, so, so the, the brewery work group, that I think some of the objectives were, you know, um, you had a beer trail. I guess you kind of mentioned that with the, with the bike ride. Um, you wanted more breweries represented at events. You wanted the, the barrel-aged beer festival. Uh, I think they wanted to revive historic brewery roots, kind of like the Bachfest. Um, but, also, but also beverage laws. And, and that's the kind of thing that I'm wondering about, because beverage laws are, are primarily centered around state regulations. So what can local government do exactly do to help local brewers, um, you know, open up and, and you know, um, flourish? Yeah, but, you know, the laws that govern that are done at the state level. So we work at the state level to see what we can get changed around that. But what we'd like to see is when we have local events, you know, we want local beer represented as well. And with the, uh, the multi-tier distribution system that's in place right now by law, post-prohibition, that gets difficult sometimes. So, yeah, you know, vendors have to work around that to the extent that they can. We'd like some state laws changed so that it just becomes easier. So that when you go to a big festival, yeah, you'll see the national and international brands, but you'll also see, you know, the boutique local brands, which we all know is growing as well. And they, frankly, as I've mentioned here several times, they give our city a more local feel. And what you see with all of our local breweries as well is super high quality and great tasting beer. So we want to show that off. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, occasionally you'll read a you'll read a headline, or somebody will say that. Oh man, another bar is opening in this neighborhood. I think that happened maybe a couple months ago. People were kind of passively complaining about, oh, there are too many bars in, in Germantown. Is there kind of a limit, maybe a, a, a bubble of how many breweries or bars can occupy one neighborhood before there's maybe I don't know, some kind of you know trouble with that? Or is there an argument against that? Well, most of what we hear around that is uh, parking and traffic. It's you know, now you go on some of our more dense quarters, uh, like Barstown Road, you'll hear uh, issues about the 4 a.m. closing time, some of the noise, the late, or litter, you know, when people are not putting up their uh, litter is a problem. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned Germantown. I mean, you go to Germantown, you know, back in the day, on every corner, you have a pub, if you will. And, you know, look, as long as people are responsibly enjoying beer and they go there for a sandwich and a beer, Again, the neighborhoods coming together. One of the things that we've lost in some neighborhoods is people don't know each other anymore. And when people don't know each other, 
that's not good for the community fabric. It can be bad for crime, criminal activity as well. So uh, I think it's wonderful when people get together. You know, all this, of course, is, you know, you have to drink responsibly. We all understand that. But, uh, again, it's just part of our local heritage, local business. So uh, we're, we're not receiving complaints at the mayor's office in terms of too many of this or too many of that. Good. That, that's that's really good to know. And and honestly, that uh, well, James follows. He uh, he for, uh, from the Atlantic. He uh, toured around the country from there for a little bit, and, and he wrote um, the eleven signs that a city will succeed. And and one of those signs that he said that um, you know breweries were a mark of a thriving community. He thought uh, maybe that because that was a part uh, that you know you have to have a certain kind of entrepreneurial spirit to open a brewery. Uh, you get uh, younger um, customers into these into the businesses and kind of establish. Uh, a name recognition. And then Jeff Alworth of All About Beer magazine, he, he extrapolated from that and surmised that breweries aren't just a mark of a thriving community, they are sometimes the cause of a thriving community. And, and he argued that because breweries are expensive to, to operate, you know, the equipment is expensive, so oftentimes uh, the, the owners will move into uh, a cheap uh, cheap real estate location. They, they go to the, you know, quote-unquote bad parts of towns, the, the maybe more undesirable part of town. Uh, and that kind of kickstarts revitalization by by inviting more people into the neighborhood. Um, it creates pockets of prosperity, as, as he put it. Do you see like a, I'm, it's it's been happening in Germantown, sure. And I guess the big hot topic right now is the Portland neighborhood of, of Louisville. Do you see a, a future of Portland, um, you know, coming together if maybe a brewery or something along those lines came in? That would be a great addition, and that would not surprise me at all. Clearly, uh, there's a lot of uh, investment taking place in Portland right now. There's some very interesting spaces in Portland. Uh, yesterday I announced the budget for fiscal year 17, and in that budget was uh, money for the planning and design of Waterfront Park West. So we'll be creating Waterfront Park to uh, 13th, 14th Street. That's going to create a really nice you know, front yard, lawn, and other amenities around that, and I hope around that other type of retail will open up, restaurants, uh, a brewery would be fantastic right there. So I think what we're seeing in Portland right now is what we saw in the East Pocket area some uh, 10 years ago. It's a much bigger space, obviously, Portland. But, you know, to get back to your earlier point about breweries as a sign of life, what, what I notice is when I talk to the entrepreneurs, the uh, founders of the, of the breweries, uh, is kind of a deep love and pride for their city and then they just happen to demonstrate that through their love of beer through their, through their uh, micro breweries or breweries and so you don't talk to any of these folks that are not passionate about what they do and about the place uh, where they where their business operates so that is you know when you talk to people like that that's when you see the pride in the city the soul of the city again uh, so it's not just any old business, you know, because to make beer, like you say, yeah, there's a financial commitment, uh, but you got to commit your heart and soul to it as well because it takes a long time to get the recipe just right. Uh, you got to see if your customers like it. You got to have all your equipment just right. Uh, so it takes a lot of dedication to being good at this. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, we have a couple questions here from Elizabeth Myers of, of Louisville Magazine. Um, she wanted to know what the last beer you drank was. I had a, I was in Washington uh, on, earlier this week, and I was at the Capitol Grill, and I had one of their local uh, porters. Uh, so 
stuff that's quite good. I don't remember the name of it, but okay. Uh, I've, I've got a little Irish in me, so I like Guinness. So I'm always now looking for the local version of Guinness. <laughs> I like it. So, would you say that you know the kind of dark porter type beers are, are what you like more? It's like your favorite style. Yeah, and not too long ago with uh, Goodwood, we had some. We did something for charity, and we made uh, a, a beer that asked for my recipe on that. So I, I asked for a uh, you know, bourbon infused uh, porter that was quite nice using a bourbon barrel. And I think that that's one area where we have a real opportunity as a city to you know have the world's largest, most famous, you know, bourbon barrel beer type of competition. I mean, obviously it's natural that it, it's here, so I'm kind of leaning toward that way. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That was um, f- the 5.0 Brew, I believe it was. How was that experience? Yes. Awesome. Uh, man, there was a lot of people uh, at that event, and I was pouring uh, the beer there at that, and it was quite busy. And, and, and it's, it's something, there doesn't seem to be any... Uh, lessening of demand uh, for local beer in these different festivals we have. When you go to them, I mean, they're all seemingly very popular. New people are coming to them. Uh, a lot of folks use them to raise money for charitable causes as well. So I think we see have a lot, a lot of upside left. Yeah, absolutely. Now, did have you had any homebrewing experience? Ever, ever get into not, that? Uh, no, I, I need to get a little bit more time on my hands. <laughs> That's understandable, uh, and it does take time and patience and, and a lot of cleaning as well. Um, so you, you mentioned that you know you like the darker uh, porter type beers. So I'm going to ask you this: if you choose, you have to choose one for the rest of your life to drink. Are you going to go with like that dark beer or bourbon? You can only drink one for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, those are two different occasions. So uh, <laughs> you know, it, it depends on the occasion. I'm not discriminated against either one. I think that. Uh, I will enjoy the needs uh, responsibly at the appropriate time. <laughs> All right, I'll, that, that's an acceptable answer. Um, uh, Elizabeth Myers also asked, um, "What was? Do you happen to remember the first beer you ever had, and, and how old were you?" You know, I I was born in Louisville. Uh, we lived in Chicago, New York, when I was growing up. But uh, I can remember, and I was you know, nineteen fifty-eight is when I was born. I'm afraid to say. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I like that a lot, actually. Um, do you find yourself in... So, for, for example, I, I live in the Highlands area, and there's there's a lot of different choices for me as far as restaurants and, and bars to go to. Um, but sometimes I venture out uh, to another part of town just based on, you know, 
um, another uh, restaurant or bar that I want to go to instead. Do you find yourself in a certain uh, neighborhood of Louisville more often than others just because of the, the beer and restaurant scene? Well, that's clustered you know, around town, uh, the restaurant scene in particular, but I, I move all over town uh, just so I can see what's going on. But the good news is it's like there's not just one place to go. Obviously, in our city, you can find good food, good beer, good drink experiences all throughout the city. So, And I see it growing as well in different parts of the town. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other night I, uh, I went to Royals Chicken in Nulu for the first time and uh, then walked over to Akasha. So I had, you know, just a, a nice night in Nulu. Um, but hey, exactly. is, is there anything coming up in Louisville that, that you'd like to, to share? Any kind of events or festivals that you'll be attending as far as, you know, the beverage scene goes? And, you know, one of the cool things that's happening, obviously, is the growth in our uh, micro-bourbon distillery scene. There's going to be nine micro-bourbon distilleries in town here within the next couple of years. Uh, what Copper and Kings has added to the beverage uh, scene in the city, I think, is really cool. They got a top class facility there, and uh, Joe is a wonderful operator. I'm really interested to see how this uh, festival in late October uh, goes down for the city. As I understand it, it's uh, it's just kind of an elite beer festival, if you would, almost elite in terms of the type of beers that are there and more for the tasting. So I think that's going to be held in Copper and Kings. You know, she's plenty between now and then, and there'll probably be a, a brewery or two open up before then as well. Some other news locally on that, but uh, if it happens, if it's open, I'll be there to support the cause. That, that's good to know, and maybe I'll run into you there and introduce myself. So, hey, I really do appreciate your time coming on. Uh, it's, it's always good to learn more about the city, especially from uh, a representative of the city itself. So, um, thank you very much. All right, take care.